If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. In 1620, the Pilgrim Fathers and the Mayflower set sail from Plymouth to explore the New World. More than 400 years later, Darren from Plymouth explores today's New World. Darren from Plymouth is D.D. Denslow, and he's digging deeper on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, welcome back to TNT Radio. Yes, you're here with me, D.D. Denslow, on a Sunday episode of Digging Deeper. And I do actually have what I feel a very, very important and big show today with some guests that I'm very, very keen to talk to. So first up, joining me in just a few moments, I've got Gareth Wynne-Jones. Uh, he seems to be doing the rounds a bit uh, on social media and in mainstream media, according to the conversation and a little chat I just had with him uh, regarding GB News. Gareth is a Welsh farmer who is pushing back against government regulations, supermarket price cartels, and is a lead member of the No Farmers No Food protest group. Uh, and I do believe uh, he has actually been on with James Freeman uh, and other hosts uh, here on TNT. And I'm really, really looking forward to uh, digging a bit deeper into the issues surrounding farmers, the farmers' protests in the EU, uh, and what's going to happen going forward in the agriculture industry and then joining me at 1 p.m just spoke to him just a few moments ago on whatsapp uh, i've got chris littlewood joining me if anyone's been following chris on social media over the last month or so last six weeks throughout 2024 he's been very very hot on community notes uh, in fact he exposed community notes for corruption and censorship uh, and in a tweet that went viral and included many 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 of the top uh, truth speaking accounts out there on x or at twitter as i like to still call it and i was actually one of those accounts that apparently has been targeted for censorship by community notes so chris will be joining me uh, in just over an hour uh tnt's on youtube we're on rumble we're on all the major video streaming platforms so you can catch me uh, and my guests and all the other uh, tnt shows there on youtube on rumbo so please go and check it out we've got a live chat here on the tntradio.live website it's buzzing these days so please come in have a chat and to those that are already in there to the mazzies and the hollies and the buzzes um please if you've got any questions for any either of my guests whether it's about farming or whether it's about censorship on social media please put that into the live chat i will do my best this week to try and to get to your comments and your questions very quick story then just to lead into to my first guest gareth uh, farmers in wales a story from the bbc uh, why are they ready to protest uh, scenes of farmers protesting in their tractors across europe have claimed the headlines recently apart from the bbc and all the other mainstream outlets uh, in fact they didn't touch the story or barely touch the story until this weekend when the uk farmers uh, finally decided to hit dover uh, and the farmers' meetings in Carmarthen, where they were discussing their plans, and there were thousands of farmers who gathered in those meetings. From, count, uh, from country to country, the reason for farmers' unhappiness varies, but rising costs, tighter regulations, and policy changes are common complaints. Now farmers are also threatening action here in the UK and in Wales, claiming that the Welsh government has turned its back 
on the countryside. Ministers completely reject that, arguing their commitment to farming at this challenging time is very clear. Uh, so what are the issues that are causing resentment here? Sustainable farming, uh, the NVZ, I don't even really know what that is, uh, but there are letters which are often on the lips of farmers. And rather than me digging into that, I'm going to ask Gareth just in a minute what the NVZ is. And another reason that the BBC claimed was TB. It's the badgers. That's why farmers are protesting across Europe and now the fishermen and the firemen and everybody else seems to be jumping on board uh, of this Europe-wide protest. Uh, but here, the BBC are saying it's all to do with tuberculosis and badgers. Uh, quite interesting. Uh, but there were a whole uh, tirade of farmer stories that have been published by the BBC over the weekend uh, when they had actually been remaining silent uh, for the last ooh, six weeks. In fact, it goes back into 2023 when the Dutch originally came out to protest. Uh, I'm going to go to Gareth. Uh, right now. I'm going to ask for his views on it. So uh, first of all, uh, Gareth, welcome to the show. Uh, you're somebody I've been really, really looking forward to talking to. Fact, I've had some really high profile guests on my show. And today I was almost, you could almost describe it a, a panic attack in speaking to you, uh, a farmer, a court, Farmer Jones from Wales. Amazing. Gareth, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Yeah, really good. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, bit shaken after my interview this morning but hey ho that's that's the way that's the job uh, you know we've got ahead of us um challenging times uh we're fighting for our freedom to produce food we're fighting to make sure policies and uh people understand what's happening in the countryside and no farmers no food is creating a hell of a lot of momentum we had two meetings let, let me just go back to just a couple of weeks ago when this started. So there was a WhatsApp uh, letter that was going down. It was produced by a Welsh farmer who had had enough, was enough. A dig on, de dig on, that's what enough is enough in Welsh. And that was the start of the whole campaign, really. It's come from the people. This hasn't come from unions. This hasn't come, you know, from anything. We call it the wedding, the people, you know, the people that are working the ground, and are producing your food. So once this accumulated, a lot of people showed interest. There was a um, a Welsh pool meeting held and there was over 1,100 farmers there. In this meeting, everybody had an opportunity to give you know their um, opinion of how they thought to go forward and the problems that we were facing. So the three things were the, F, the SFS, which is the sustainable farming scheme, okay? That, you know, has a lot of things in it that's not workable for us as an industry. The second is the nitrate vulnerable zones, okay? Um, and again, they don't want us, hope that helps you, they don't yeah. want us carrying manure and slurry during the winter months. Now, you know, to store that kind of volume, it's going to cost hundreds of thousands to some farms. If you carry slurry or manure when the weather's okay, it's not going to cause a problem. And that manure and slurry is worth its fortune to us because that's what feeds our soils, our grass, and our crops. And, and it's, you know, it's a no-brainer. Because, you know, go back to the MVZs. This is really frustrating for me because when we see water companies pumping and dumping 
water, sewage, and all kinds of crap into rivers, into the sea, and people want to blame farmers. They want to take, you know, that. Yeah, look, there is a few problems within the industry. We're not hiding away from it. And there's things that we need to tweak and the things we need to look. But if you blanket the whole of Wales to not carry manure and things, it's going to cause problem. And the third thing, and the most important, these are the three points, the FSS, MVZs, and TB. TB is killing us. And I mean this literally, you know. We have a apex predator that is taking our cattle, it's taking our hedgehogs, it's taking our ground nesting birds, and it's taking our bumblebees. There is an overpopulation of the badger in our country. And Welsh Government, the Labour Welsh Government, who've been charged for 20 years, will not address the problem. It's been done in England. They've reduced the number in England. It's not about killing every badger, it's reducing the number. Overpopulation of anything will cause a problem. We know that with a human race. Overpopulation will cause disease, you know, starvation, uh, and just pop population problems. So these creatures were taken down in numbers, TB reduced by a really big number. But what I'm really interested in as well is hedgehog numbers came back, ground nesting birds came back, and bumblebees came back. Now, if you want to address the balance in the countryside, you have to take tough decisions. We are at the head. We are at the top, okay? We need to do these tough decisions. And we cannot carry on as we are because mental health in our industry is at its lowest. We've never had so many mental health charities. I'm talking with people yesterday, a friend of mine, um, Steve Evans, he's lost 180 cows and he's losing more. He's afraid that his business will go to the ground like many other businesses because the government are not stepping up because they want to protect a certain creature, not thinking about the bigger picture of what this is creating. You know, this is not wind in the willows. This is what we do every day. I am TB testing tomorrow, okay? And I'm literally, absolutely, I don't want to use the word, but it, 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 I'm shit scared, okay? I am really, yeah. really so scared about what's going to go, go on tomorrow because... We did it last November, and it's the first time this farm has ever gone down with TB, and we lost quite a few cows. But the stress and the strain of our vet, and we got a fantastic vet coming back every 60 days then to test your cows. So it took us just on a year to come clean. So our last TB test was negative. So when we go again tomorrow, if we're negative, we are allowed then a 12 month period, but we will be testing in November. Think of that strain on families. Think of that because, you know, you can't sell your, your animals. If you're milking, you've got to keep your animals or you've got to sell them cheap. There is so much destruction, you know, with these creatures that people don't understand uh -huh. um, the whole ethos. So yeah, the no farmers, no food is going really, really well. Um, what are the what are the consequences um, uh, for say tomorrow you're going to have a TB test uh, and they find that one of your cattle one of your cows uh, is actually infected with this disease what would be the consequences of that? So they'll test them tomorrow and they'll come back on Thursday to read the test. So if the you know the lumps big um, then we're in trouble. Uh, then 
that cow will either be, you know, inconclusive or we send it away. So the last time we had to isolate the two cows that came inconclusive, um, we sent them both off to slaughter. They were again, you know, both inconclusives and they haven't cultured anything off them. So it's a, it's, yeah, it's a nightmare because all these animals go into the food chain anyway. And yeah, we want to eradicate this disease, but we cannot eradicate this disease because we haven't got all the tools in the box. So for me, you know, we need to have a look at how we can reduce the numbers of these creatures, not just for the farming communities, but for wildlife as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a massive impact for us if we go down tomorrow or on Thursday. We will be, yeah, yeah, it'll be a sad day again. And it, and it might be the day that you just start to think, is it worth keeping cattle anymore? And they are an intricate part of our farming system because we know where these cows are is where the multitude of badgers are. So we've got four different herds and it's just where this herd is, that's where the badgers are and that's where we've been having the problems with our cattle. So very, very, very stressful time. And I have to say, you know, cows are an integral, an integral part of my diet. You know, I actually really do like a steak a couple of times a week. How many farmers in Wales, in your farming community, uh, have actually decided, you know what, uh, that 2023 was my last year and they shut shop or they're looking at, you know, 2024, oh, these protests don't work out and we don't get some uh, some sort of forgiveness from the government for some of these policies and regulations. I'm going to have to shut up shop. How many farmers are going to the wall, uh, Gareth? Yeah, I think we're, we're not quite there yet. We're, we've had a few that have, um, you know, but people are up to their eyeballs in debt. Um, there's a few gone under, we know that, but, you know, it, it's a challenging time. And a lot of people, so if we take this village, for instance, so there would have been maybe, you know, 15 farms that would have been keeping cattle um, in this village at one stage. Uh, we're the only ones that are keeping cattle now. Nobody else keeps cattle in this village. Um, so again, you know, it just proves to you that uh, what these government policies and the way they're, you know, taking people out of the industry. In Wales, if this SFS, this Sustainable Farming Scheme goes through, we will lose 5,500 people out of our industry. That is as twice as much as what they've lost in Tata. We're a small industry. But a small industry that work hard to produce food for people like you to sit down and have your steaks, you know? Yeah. And we, we we don't want a clap. We don't want to thank you. We want a fair price for what we're producing. You know, we want to be producing food that's affordable. And this is a good point because a lot of people don't understand how all this came, you know, how farming was subsidised. So after the Second World War, the cap, the common agricultural policy was set up. Now, the common agricultural policy was set up because people in this country were going hungry. They were on ration books. You know, they were killing horses for people to have meat. They were doing anything, you know, and, and, and it was a tough time. So they set up the common agricultural policy. So we were subsidised, yeah? A lot of the farms, the bigger farms down in England, were paid to rip out hedgerows, you know, plough up land, you know, these were all things so we could produce food, which that's how the country was looking because they thought there was going to be, you know, food shortages because of the war. So after that, then it developed into Europe, more, you know, different kind of mindsets. And then we've gone over the last 10 years into more environmentally based payments. Um, 
and which is fine, you know, if that's what people want, you know, you the taxpayer. But that food we we are producing every day has been subsidised. That's why it's affordable. That's what mm-hmm. people need to understand. If that subsidy to produce that food wasn't there, you would be paying twice or three times as much for your steak and your food on your plate. So let's let's look at how we go forward. Okay, we need sustainable food production. We need food security in this country. And I'll tell you, yes, we need the environment that's healthy for our wildlife and for our birds. And we can do this. We can put our hedges and edges back. We can plant the right tree in the right place. I planted 40 trees here last year, but they were all fruit trees. Them fruit trees will be feeding my family in years to come. We have to look at ways and means that we can produce food on a small island with a growing population. You know, these are intricate parts of what we do. We are at this moment about 60 odd percent self-sufficient in food. Put these new draconian measures into place and we could be in three years 40 percent self-sufficient or even less. And you could be paying twice or three times as much for your food. Or we could be importing, you know, inferior products from where they're cutting down the Amazon, you know, to produce soya or gloop or whatever it is to feed people from factories. Now, if we want to build a better Britain, let's start on our bellies with good food. And we definitely need a farming food revolution. No farmers, no food. These are all points that we have to get across to you, the general public. Because without the general public, we don't have the consumer or the customer. And without supermarkets that that aren't paying a fair price for things, there won't be a future for farming. So government, supermarkets, and the most important part of the equation is the consumer and customer. And that's why we want to keep them on board going forward, you know, in our efforts to hopefully educate people, get their support to back us 100%, or we could be sleepwalking into food shortages in a very short time. And some, we're about to go to a break now, Gareth, and some, and I can see some comments coming in the live chat. Some will argue, including myself, uh, that this is actually a deliberate attempt by our government, by the establishment, actually to reduce the food supplies. Of course, that sounds a bit conspiratorial, uh, but I always look at the outcome of policies. And uh, if the government policies are going to reduce food supply, I would assume that that is actually the desired outcome. But we'll come on to that and the protest in Europe uh, right after this break here on TNT Radio. Now, as we move into an election year in US politics at a time when the Western Empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan, whilst at the same time the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order. Institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behaviour and their failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. The truth shall set us free. Those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death, destruction, deceit and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite, of course, and then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk, 
TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, welcome back to TNT Radio. You're here with me, D.D. Denslow, on a Sunday edition of Digging Deeper. I'm talking to Gareth Wynne-Jones, uh, a farmer from Wales uh, and a lead member of the No Farmers, No Food uh, protest group or organization. It's a campaign group that has recently been put together and is gaining a lot of traction. Uh, I've got a question here from the live chat, Gareth. Uh, this is from Wild Heather. She actually, I know... I know uh, Heather. We, we we discuss some talk sometimes uh, on social media. She's a she's a big TNT listener. She's probably very happy. I'm, I'm going to ask a question. She said uh, they are using TB to reduce animal husbandry, so we will eat the bugs, as Klaus Schwab might say. Do you think that there is uh, a, a, an effort to deliberately reduce food supply? Um, deliberately. Well, there is an effort, I would say, to deliberately bring down uh, livestock units, as in cattle and sheep, ruminants. Uh, have a look at what's happened in Europe, um, for example, and that, and that gives you, you know, the nitrate-free zones in um, Holland was a massive protest. They wanted yep. to bring the nitrate rates down there, so farmers were asked... Let's say if they had a thousand cows on the farm, um, that some farms were asked to bring it down eighty percent, so they would have been left with two hundred cows. So this, these are massive numbers. The Netherlands is a fantastic food basket for Europe, um, and it needed to be protected. But you know, it's happening in Germany where they're putting extra tax onto the red diesel, and so you know, if you're filling your tractor up, which is costing you, let's say. 200 euros to fill up if it goes from that to 400 or to 600 pound you know that food then has to go up so these farmers are out in their numbers and i will tell you straight now from the bottom of my heart farmers are the last people to go out and protest they are the last people on earth to go out and protest because they've got animals to watch after they've got um crops to tend to and they have got a full-time job but farmers to go out like they have done across europe and this happened in sri lanka as well canada happened as well and new zealand and we're having you know 
connotations from America. So this is a global problem. It's a yeah. global problem. And, you know, it's something that we need the public to understand. Um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, okay? I'm not going to go into anybody's thoughts, okay. but it does make you think that hundreds of thousands of farmers worldwide are out protesting and they ain't doing that for no reason. So you yeah. have to look at the picture yourself. You know, you have to start to address where the problems are. And, you know, as voters, we have to start to think, are these the people we want representing us in our areas, in, you know, our constituency? Do we want these people? So for me, what they did in the Netherlands was brilliant. They set up their own political party, you know, Farmers People's Party, which is great and it's done well. And these are the things that we maybe have to look at to bring the power back to ourselves that we that we lose out lost our trust in the people that are running this nation and we have to ask questions on them or they have to change their mindset and start to support agriculture start to look at measures of how we can work together to build a better britain you know or to build a better world and it's not going to be easy to sustain a growing population um eight billion and feed them all affordably, sustainably. You know, there is things that we're going to have to change. We cannot keep going on, on the route we are. But do not bite the hand that feeds you because you're going to need that hand three times every single day. And without them farmers, people are going to go hungry. They'll bring that, they'll bring that power into big corporations and into big factories to produce gloop, to feed you, to make you sick, to make you ill. You know, I'm 56. I'm as fit as a butcher's dog. I work seven days a week and, you know, I love my job and I want a future for my children doing exactly what I did. We've had 375 years on this farm producing sustainable, environmentally friendly food and I ain't going anywhere. Uh, and in fact, that's what we saw in Holland, isn't it? We saw farmers who had effectively been on the land for hundreds of years. They've been passed down from family to family. And all of a sudden they were hit with these restrictions, nitrogen restrictions. Uh, uh, they wanted to reduce the, the, the number of head of cattle uh, that they had on those farms. And that these farms were effectively going out of business and out of like family heritage that, that had, you know, could be traced back for years. Uh, you also mentioned the BBB, which was the, I believe that's correct, the political party that was born uh, out of the farmers' protest movement in the Netherlands. And actually, they were very, very successful uh, in uh, elections that they stood in. Has the success of the BBB in Holland, has that produced uh, or resulted in the Dutch government rolling back some of these restrictions, particularly on things like nitrogen and nitrogen emissions? Well, I think they're looking at policies, how they can protect the farmer. Um, you know, I haven't looked into it in depth. I've got enough problems with our own policies in this country, to be totally brutally honest with you. Um, but what I'm trying to, to share is our problems. Okay, so... You know, I've been a big advocate of social media and, you know, I've used, I've got 300,000 followers on my Facebook page. I uh, can't believe I'm telling you I've got 107,000 followers on my TikTok page, but this is where it's scary. I've got over 2 million followers Hello. on my YouTube page, the most followed farmer in the world. 
but that's amazing as somebody who likes yeah. clicks gareth on well gel yeah on well gel i've only got seventy thousand on my twitter account and i thought i was a big deal you got two million yeah that's not good you must get lots of clicks sorry i had to interrupt you there carry on yeah yeah well i don't think it's about the clicks for me it's about educating people that's why i put the shorts on this is why i you know if you go onto my youtube channel that's my main yeah i'm on x i'm on twitter whatever you want to call it as well i think i've got 60 thousand but the two million on my youtube panel are, are the beating heart of what we do so we've got some longs on there you know where i'm sitting in the meeting before we go and meet the farmers in welshpool you know and farmers are sending me videos they're sending me videos of their concerns you know they're sending me videos which are heartbreaking. You know, we've got Johan in the tractor the other day. He's breaking his heart. He's got a young son and he doesn't know where the future is for him. You know, these are these are real people that are trying to engage with the consumer and the customer because, you know, once we, we've got a good rapport with you people, you can then be more supportive because if you don't understand what's happening within the farming community, well, you know, you're just going to go into a supermarket and pay two for the price of one. And the supermarkets have got a big role to play here. The supermarkets need to pay a fair price for the food that we're producing. Or again, we go out of business. So if the consumer and the customer starts to ask questions to the supermarket, because the supermarkets aren't going anywhere, they're here to stay, but they have to be fair with the people that work for them. So when the customer goes in, they can ask, how much does a farmer have per litre for his? And it has to be at least the price price of production. Some farmers producing milk and getting less for it. It's costing them more to produce it. So they're hemorrhaging cash every week. And because it's, you know, what can you do with 100,000 litres of milk? You cannot. It's not something that you can dispose of easy. You're under contract. You're under contract with a processor that sells to the supermarket so if that supermarket goes for a two for the price of one and you can have a liter of milk for four pounds they're devaluing that product which is yeah. wrong they're devaluing that product till it's under the price of water now milk is a whole food it's something sustainable it's something very very healthy and we should be pushing it instead of these sugary drinks that the kids are drinking all this rubbish you know they should be having a pint of milk in school every single day and government should be backing it and it should be there on everybody's table but it has to be affordable for people as well but it has to be fair so the farmer who's at the coalface producing this thing cannot carry on as they are having less money for what they do. And it's the same for us across the board, you know, from pigs to chickens. We've seen it last year when they dropped the prices of chicken. Farmers pulled out. They stopped keeping them chickens to lay them eggs. There was an egg shortage. They then had to go abroad to find eggs to come into this country. Absolutely ridiculous. They brought that on themselves. You know, it's like a turkey voting for Christmas. Be mm. sensible. Pay a fair price for what we're producing. And then the mm. farmers can survive. And they can invest into their farms and the infrastructure. And then we can all be fed sustainably and affordably. 
is there um is there any way that you collectively as a community of farmers and you know you, you mentioned you know people processing milk uh, that that community as a whole is there any way you can cut out the supermarkets and actually sort of find a way of either setting up your own supermarket or your own stall or your own shops that the public can go to or is there any way that you could uh, deliver direct to people and just cut out the supermarkets well, yeah, I can, I can give you, yeah, I can give you an exact example of that. So a few years ago, a friend of mine, Hugh Cluid, who's up the road there, who milks cows, um, he took a massive step, massive investment. He, he, he was just frustrated that he didn't think he was getting a fair price for what he's producing. So he bought a pasteurizing machine and a bottling machine. And he set up his own little business and he phoned me up and he said, I'm going to do this. Will you help me? Because you know, my social media following, I could help him. So yeah, four times a week, we have our milk delivered to the door from my mate Hill. You know, he started with one little milk round. He's got seven milk rounds. He's got a few people working for him now. You know, he's invested heavily, but he is reaping them benefits. He has got a vending machine as well on the side of the eighth. 55 just come off the off the a55 and you can go in there with a bottle and you can you know you can either buy a bottle or you can go in there and fill your bottle full of his milk he's got a milkshake machine there and a coffee machine as well and he sells yeah. some local um uh, cakes and biscuits from a local bakery in this vending machine so yes there is ways and means but we cannot feed inner cities, okay? So you've got your Birmingham's and your London's and your Liverpool. You've got the supermarkets there. And again, you know, this is niche. 84% of our population lives in city. So, you know, who can do that in a rural community? But, you know, that's very difficult yeah. to do yeah. in inner city as going back to the milkman. But it could be done. But we, we have to work with supermarkets because they ain't going anywhere. And with the majority of people struggling to pay their bills their energy bills their food bills so that food has to be affordable so if we pull the plug on what we're doing and the food goes up three or maybe two or three times as much how the hell are these people going to be paying their energy bills and their food bills you know we're an intricate part of the whole system and you're going to need a farmer three times a day every single day of your life and if they're taken away by government policies we're in trouble we're in deep doo-doo, let me tell you, because once them cheap imports or we have a, you know, a problem in the Suez or a war like happened in Ukraine, you know, woof, overnight, the food shortages are there. And I'll tell you, these government MPs, AMs, they know we are sleepwalking into food shortages and they're not going to yeah. tell that to the people. But unless we wake up and smell the coffee going forward, we are going to be in trouble. So support the farmers, you know, no farmers, no food, get on these things, have a look at my YouTube channel, get on Facebook, whatever you can do to share these stories, you know, help a farmer. If you can buy locally and seasonally, great, but we have to work together to find solutions. And government are the head of the whole organization. So if it's Wales, England, Scotland, Ireland, they all have to look at their policies working with farmers, not against them, taking uh -huh. input from the farmers. You know, we're still in a consultation period with this SFS. I hope to God our ministers will listen and change what direction they're going before it's too late.
My final question, and a quick one before we go to a, a break, Gareth. Um, we saw a sh- we saw a, a protest in Dover. It was a small protest. I, I, I personally saw it. It was sort of a, a shot across the bow for the government. Say, hey, look, we've just gone into Dover. We could have just blocked the port if we wanted to. Are we likely to see uh, UK-wide protests like we're seeing in Europe at the moment in the immediate future? And have you got the public support? Uh, you've got your far- no farmers, no food uh, campaign. Is that being supported? Are you getting positive feedback from the public? Our main objective here is to keep public support. I will tell you that straight. You know, we're not Germany, we're not France, we're not the Netherlands. Farmers have to be in a desperate state to go out and protest. Yep. They have to be on their knees, okay? And I've said this earlier, the farmer will be the last person to go to protest. But watch out if they do. Watch this space if they do. Because if any industry can bring this country to its knees, and it's been done before, you know, with the fuel protests, it brought this country to its knees. We know that they've changed the laws with the not uh, stop oil systems. We don't want to break laws. We want to be respectful. We want to be peaceful. And we don't want to upset other people's businesses because it's hard enough for you to take your kids to school or to do your, 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 your daily rounds and to pay your bills. We don't want to put that on other people, you know, but our voices need to be heard. Our voices need a place within our society so the general public hopefully will get behind it and they'll understand where we're coming from. And I want to add this point as well, and this is an important point now. So every pound that was subsidised in Wales, every pound that came to a farmer in Wales, would have evolved into nine pound in circulation. So don't you think that's a brilliant investment for any government to be doing? So, you know, if you put a pound into my pocket, I can resonate that into nine pound. And this, uh-huh. these are my stats. These are my stats. These are Welsh government stats. So one pound can be turned into nine pound. You know, turning that round. Yeah, I've said right tree, right place, but we cannot have a blanket idea that 10% of every single farm has to go under woodland, you know? It's not workable. We have to look at ways that we can work together to find solutions. We need to feed the nation affordably and we need to protect our habitats and our lifestyles and our children's future. Uh, well, we might have a Labour government coming in uh, in about 13 weeks. In fact, it was confirmed to me yet again that we've got a May 2nd election. I'm going to start talking about more UK politics and your interview with GB News uh, after this break here on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. you got to love the left-wing activists posing as journalists all over the media who go after Trump and 99% of them you figure really mean it and then there's Joy Reid who exposed herself on a hot MSNBC microphone Congressional Republicans love to latch on to President Biden and Democrats' successful policies and take credit for things they didn't do, while tying themselves into pretzels to do nothing for the American people for the sake of Donald Trump. Case in point Fixing what they say is a crisis at the border. With congressional negotiators continuing work on a bipartisan deal to tie border policy changes to funding for Ukraine. Over the weekend, President Biden said he's ready to take action if Congress is serious about solving the border issue. 
If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done. Starting another fucking war. <laughs> First and foremost, rule number one in broadcasting, always assume a mic is hot. She was a fool to assume that the mic was off. Number two, I guess she really doesn't like Joe Biden that much. If she said he's going to start another effing war, huh, I guess even leftist Joe Biden isn't leftist enough for radical Joy Reid. Thanks to the hot mic, we know that. And don't forget, catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. Thank you! Thank you! To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. You're listening to Digging Deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, welcome back to TNT Radio. You're here with me, D.D. Denslow. I'm talking to Welsh farmer Gareth Wynne-Jones. Uh, he's actually been quite busy uh, on a Sunday morning as well. You were on you, you're on GB News this morning. Um, I don't know much about that particular interview. Uh, how did that go? What was it about? Uh, and I gather you weren't too happy. Not very happy. Um, Not very happy. Well, look, it was about racism in the countryside. And, um, you know, as somebody that's lived in the countryside all his life, um, I haven't seen racism, you know. Um, and, and that's my personal opinion. Now, I, I was explaining about how Mr. Pashamu came into our local Nissa shop and took it over. It was fabulous. Um, lovely guy. And he just came, you know, and during lockdown, he was brilliant. He was delivering to the old people. He was watching after everybody. You know, I go in at Christmas and he gives me a 10 box of um, thatches because I support him all the year round. He's a really just a nice guy that's moved into the countryside, you know, Indian guy. Um, but my wife had been speaking to the guy that works in the shop for him. And he'd been away in London for a couple of weeks. And every and he, he's Indian as well. And ev everybody was coming into the shop. So where have you been? We've missed you. And like he said to my wife, I'd never get that in London. I'd never get that in another shop. And people want to know, you know, and, and this is what I'm trying to say. Let's not get the narrative of racism. There's good, bad and ugly in the inner cities and in the countryside. I'm not hiding away from that. But we can't weaponize racism because I think, you know, if you're willing to come into the countryside or into a, a city, you have to understand and respect the people that live there and try to work with them. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to put my point over and 
the lady that was uh, going against me was very disrespectful, in my opinion. Um, and then I spoke about, you know, that we've been oppressed. You know, I don't hold grudges against my English fellow man, but our language was oppressed. Our language had, you know, kids were sent to school if they spoke Welsh in school, they were given the Welsh not. So I was trying to say to her, yeah, I know what being oppressed is through my language and through my culture, but she just kept targeting because I'm a white, you know, uh, man <laughs> that lives in the countryside, like what, 80 or 90% of the people that are in the countryside, you know, is that prejudice towards me? So I, I was quite angry, but I didn't, I didn't lose my rag. I kept my cool, you know, because I'm too old for that. People like that aren't going to bait me into losing my temper. But if it's gone viral. So if anybody wants to watch it, it's on X, it's on Twitter, it's on my Facebook page. But Anne Diamond kept the cool and Stephen kept the cool. You know, she wouldn't even leave me answer any of the questions. Yeah. And she accused me of calling a racist. But you, you have to take the two minutes to watch the video and understand because I think, you know, I was respectful. I was listening when she was speaking and she was pulling faces and all kinds of things when I was speaking. And, and that to me has lost the argument already because everybody has the right to their opinion and, you know, the right to share their stories, which, you, you know, she was trying to do, but you do not have the right to disrespect the other person's, you know, freedom of speech. And I think that's what she did. And it doesn't matter if you're black, white, yellow, or pink or spotted. I, I don't really care. You know, respect for everybody and give them the opportunity to have their say. Yeah. I mean, the very thought that the countryside is racist it is absolute nonsense. I live in the southwest in Plymouth. We've got Dartmoor, we've got Cornwall, we've got lots of uh, countryside. Uh, and, um, you know, I've, I've never heard of it being associated with racism in England or in Wales, uh, where the majority of people who live out in rural areas are white people and the reason why and you may you might have some comments on this why she was so aggressive towards you or was unwilling to let you answer a question that was asked of you was because your answers would completely unravel the very um uh, proposition that the countryside is racist that's because they're just repeating stuff and saying stuff for inflammatory purposes without actually uh, putting any thought behind it um you know why is there a push on making everything racist. I know it's nothing necessary to do with farmers, uh, but I'm just asking for your opinion uh, as a white guy, probably described as a white supremacist by some in GB News now. Um, <laughs> we yeah, all get it. I'm, I'm, the most, I'm the most racist man in Perth, if that makes you feel any better, you know, just yeah. because I don't, I'm, I've got a problem with immigration. Um, uh, you know, why, do, why is there such a push where nothing can be left untainted by this racism narrative? I think social media hasn't helped the, the whole situation, okay? And I, and I think, you know, there is things that I've seen that shouldn't happen to black and white people, you know? Mm -hmm. And there shouldn't be, you know, the racist card played either. And there will be problems within every culture and with every, every people, but we have to be respectful. You know, I went to Sunday school as a kid and... I always learned to respect other people's opinions, didn't matter where they came from. You know, we were taught about the famines in Africa in our Sunday school in Welsh. You know, it, it was it was something that was ingrained in us 
to be respectful and I try to be look I've got a massive temper as well and I, I you know as I've got older I've been able to control that but I'm passionate and that temper comes out because I'm passionate about what I'm fighting for and and I think you cannot you cannot use that racist card on anybody that's passionate and putting his opinion across so I think a lot of it does come down to the political political uh, elite as well, which which have been, you know, taking bits here, there and everywhere. You know, let's just use a fair playing field. Doesn't matter what your race is, doesn't matter what your religion, because it's race and religion that cause every single war that we've had, you know, and we have to address that, you know, if you believe in God or you believe in Allah or whatever your your belief is, respect the other person's belief, you know, and mm-hmm. and and just maybe not be in tune with it, but respect it. And I I think the same with this racism, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, that's that's their decision, and if they believe that's what they want, but you have to be very very careful because they can use any little piece of wording you say. And they can turn that against you, which I find very disrespectful because you could say something in a different context, which could be taken as being racist. And I think uh-huh. that's where we need to be more flexible and not afraid to speak our minds, you know, because mm-hmm. you're speaking your mind. You're not being racist or being, you know, um, anti this or anti that. You're just putting your opinion across. Mm-hmm. And we have to look at some of these people that weaponize that they weaponize that for their own narcissistic devices i know it's a big word but that's that's my opinion that's my opinion it's not about the fight for everybody it's about what they can get out of it yeah i suspect you know you say they weaponize it yeah they weaponize it but mainly they try to profit from it because they can get clicks and therefore they can get money uh, and that's why they push it uh, if, if it wasn't profitable or beneficial to an individual to push the racism narrative it, particularly in the pocket they probably wouldn't do it but a lot of it is actually born culturally is born out of our political system uh, in the uk i would describe our political system as a corrupt uh, disaster with borderline tyranny, uh, I would suggest, with some of the behaviour of our politicians, including the unelected ones like Sunak. We've got a general election coming. Uh, I'm expecting it to be announced towards the end of March. I've had about three or four incredibly good sources, including Andrew Bridgen, who have confirmed that it's going to be uh, May the 2nd. How do you think the election will go? What will be the outcome? And we've only got a couple of minutes. Uh, and I'm asking you an essay-type question. Uh, what is wrong with the UK political system? I think you need more than a couple of minutes. That's uh, what's oh, wrong no, with the political oh, system. No. Uh, personally, I think <laughs> there's too many professional politicians in there. And I can tell you, my opinion is that we need people in charge of agriculture that have been farming, that understand the farming. We need people that are in charge of education, that have been teachers or head teachers or been successful at what they've done. We need people that are running the NHS that have been the best doctor or the best administrator or have brought you know hospitals out of massive holes. We need to utilize the people that we have on in this country and take them into a professional side 
of this political system because that's where it's wrong. None of these politicians ever answer a question. They will go around and squirm and say they will never answer a question, yes or no, or give us a direct, you know, incentive or answer to anything. And I think that's where it's wrong. It's wrong because that's what they're taught. You know, they go into universities to be taught. You know, we've seen how many of them came from the same flipping classroom. You know, they sat there in their hierarchy and, and it just makes me just so frustrated. I'd love to see more people that are common people have the opportunity to stand up and go and start to make a difference in this country. If we have people with common sense, and I, I know it sounds crazy, but listen to this. This this was something an old butcher told me many, many years ago. He was a clever man, very clever man. His name was Bob Bach Butcher, and I've used this in, uh, in the Oxford debate, okay? And he said to me that an ounce of common sense is better than any Oxford or Cambridge education. Of course. And do you know what? The more I hear that, the more I think he hit the hammer on that nail straight on the head. And we've got no common sense. We have no common sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm an ex-science teacher myself. I used to teach chemistry uh, and I saw it for myself, the fact that critical thinking isn't taught at schools. It, even the very act of questioning isn't really encouraged at schools as well. And we have a society now that are afraid to ask questions because they don't want to be wrong because they've been told being wrong is a bad thing. And so people remain silent. Uh, but listening to you, it sounds like there's a potential for a prime minister inside of you, Gareth because you come up with some really, really good ideas. How about having no. a farmer in charge of farming? How about having a teacher in, in charge of education instead of, I don't know, Grant Shapps, who seems to be an expert in defence, education, transport, net zero. I could go a, lot, a whole list of job titles that he's held. In fact, he's probably been awarded a new job title whilst we've been on the show together, Gareth. Um, it's ridiculous. I don't know what the solution is to our political woes. Uh, I don't think an election is going to be the answer. In fact, we could end up jumping out of the fire pan into the fire with a Labour government that almost looks certain to happen. So uh, you'll be taking instructions from Keir Starmer, who's uh, apparently the son of a toolmaker, which seems like an appropriate job to, to lead uh, the fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh largest economy uh, in the world. Uh, Gareth, I've really, really uh, appreciated you uh, coming on. Uh, mate, you've got, you've got all these social media accounts. We've got a couple of minutes. Uh, do you want to just relay them to the audience so they can go and have a look at the GB News interview because I'm going to be on that. I'm going to steal it and share it so I can get some clicks. Uh, but um, yeah, if you could just relay your uh, so, uh, social media accounts to the audience, that'd be great, mate. Yeah, so literally all you need to do is have a look at Gareth Wynne Jones. I've done it simple. So my YouTube is Gareth Wynne Jones and the same on Twitter. It's the number one and then Gareth Wynne Jones. And the same on anything. If you just put my name in and search it, um, I'll come as the good, the bad and the ugly. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Gareth, uh, you've been an amazing guest. Uh, very informative and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I hope things go well for you and the farming community. You've got the public support. Remember, no farmers, no food. I hope you don't have to go out and protest. But if you do, 
do it good. And to everybody who is listening, I've got Chris Littlewood coming in to join me uh, to talk about censorship on social media. So please stay right with us on TNT Radio. Radio.